My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website, hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. Guys, today we're going to continue uh, Colossians, and it's been a couple of weeks since we've been here, because last week we had Scott and Wendy here, the week before that I was in Louisiana preaching at a church, and so Danny came and spoke to you guys straight from Bushwick, and uh, good dude. Um, I hope you guys uh, enjoyed him. He's, he's one of my good friends. But uh, anyways, um, so I want to kind of catch us back up to speed just a little bit on, on Colossians. Uh, remember, the theme that we've been talking about for Colossians is rooted. And the reason why is because Paul, who didn't plant the church in, in Colossae, um, he just there was a friend of his that came to visit him that did plant the church there and was just wanting some, uh, we don't even know really what happened. We think that he mentioned the church and Paul was like, I'm going to write him a letter. So he ended up writing them a letter just so that they would, they were doing fine in the faith. Remember the first time we even came together, he commended them on how strong their faith was, but he said, I'm just going to write them. And what he did is if you look through the whole entire book, he wrote to encourage them and to make sure that they wouldn't fall away from the faith, that they would remain strong in the faith is what he's done. Man, we got like a strobe. That was cool. It was like change all of a sudden. I don't know. But, uh, but so he's going to say, hey, stay strong in the faith. So He's going to tell them, basically, I want you to stay rooted in a few things. And, and he actually says the word rooted next week uh, is where we'll see the word. But you kind of get that theme. He's like, hey, stay rooted. Week one, he was like, stay rooted in your faith. Stay rooted in that strong faith that is known throughout all over, right? That I'd heard about. Stay strong in that faith. And then the second week, what do we talk about? Rooted in? It's been a minute. What is it? Thank you. I was asking that question because I was trying to think of it also in the moment. I was like, somebody will know. Thank you, Moni. Rooted in the deity of Christ. He was like, why is it important that you, that you know for certain that Jesus is God? And then the third week, which was three weeks ago. Does anybody remember that one? Rooted in reconciliation. Starts with an R. Yeah, rooted in reconciliation. Not only do you need to be rooted in the fact that, remember that you were alienated in God, but now you've been reconciled to God. So, so stay rooted in that reconciliation. Remember that your life has been reconciled to God through Christ. But then we also took a moment to talk about remembering that we are now ministers of reconciliation as well. So being rooted in the reconciliation that we've been given and then rooted in the the reconciliation that we've been tasked with leading other people in. So that's what we talked about two weeks ago. Now, I don't know uh, if this has ever happened to you guys, but have you ever been reading in the Bible and something stands out to you, all right? And then maybe uh, you kind of are like, oh, that was really cool. And then you go throughout your day and that same thing comes up again. Has that ever happened to you before? And then all of a sudden, like you maybe get somewhere and then all of a sudden you're put in a situation and maybe some people are talking about that. And you're like, this is weird. Like, what, what, why does this keep coming up? 
Has that ever happened before to anybody in the room? And you tell yourself what? You're like, man, if this keeps coming up, then God must really be trying to tell me something, right? We always say that. God really must be trying to tell me about whatever this was because it keeps coming up. Well, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but there has been a theme over the last two months, basically, in our church. And it's been very cool to see this coming up time and time again. We see it whenever we talk uh, through Colossians. We've seen it in our Bible study. We've seen it in our growth group. We saw it whenever, whenever, um, what's his name? Uh, Scott and Wendy were here. Thank you, Stephanie. Whenever Scott and Wendy were here last week and what it was, and we even talked about it at our church retreat. God continues to bring up this thing of going, hey, remember what your calling is. Remember what your mission is as a Christian. And we have been talking over and over and over again how we have been given the gospel ministry. And we've been talking about how it relates in our own lives and how we can be a stronger witness. I love that Michelle, right before church today, uh, is, I don't know if you guys noticed the long line at the smoke shop across the street, um, and there are just a lot of people there. Apparently, like some paper guy that, you know, you use paper things for at a smoke shop. I don't, I don't personally know what could, that could be used for, but, um, but like there's apparently some CEO and they're giving away a lot of stuff over there. And Michelle goes over there to kind of talk to him and ask him what uh, is going on and then invites them all to church. And I was like, that's what I'm talking about. When I heard that story, I was like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, see, I love the fact that we're being more aware of our surroundings and we're being more aware of that God could be working in this moment right now. And even whenever Wendy stood up um, last week and uh, whenever we were at dinner and she was like, no longer do I try to like get through like my day and then add the gospel to it. No, the gospel is my day and then I add everything else to it. Remember when she said that? That was such a good point. Well, this thing keeps coming up and coming up. And so when I sat down to study the scripture today, I was like, all right, where are we going? I didn't sit down today to study the scripture. I'm saying when I sat down, at the, it, was, it was at the beginning of the week, to study the scripture, I, was, I sat down with it and I read it and I just was like, no way. Because God's not done yet. I don't know why, but he's not done yet. Because he's gonna talk about Something today that's incredibly, incredibly important, I think, to us. And so today's message is going to be called Rooted in the Mission. Rooted in the Mission. We've been rooted in faith, rooted in the deity of Christ, rooted in reconciliation. Another way that we're going to remain strong in our faith, unwavering in our faith, is if we are rooted in the mission. And I want you to remember that image of being rooted what that means, what that looks like. You can picture a tree and you can picture its roots going down deep. That's what we're talking about. Allow your roots to go down deep in the things of God. Allow it to go down deep into faith, deep into reconciliation, deep into the deity of Christ. Because the, the, the deeper your roots go, the less movable you are. And so that's why, and so today we're going to talk about letting our roots go down deep into the mission and what it does for us, all right? What it does for us. Here's what I want you to write down. I'm going to give you the answer to everything right off the bat. Write this down. Rejoicing in suffering has everything to do with being rooted in the mission. 
rejoicing in suffering has everything to do with being rooted in the mission. I don't know if you guys caught what, uh, what was first said there. Um, right there at the very beginning in Colossians 1.24, um, in the first half of that verse. Here's, what, here's how Paul starts out with this. Because remember, he's been talking about being rooted in all those things. And he says, now, I want to tell you this. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. I don't know about you guys, but whenever I read that, I want to know how he does that. I want to know how he rejoices in suffering. First of all, what do you mean rejoice? Second of all, what do you mean suffer? Like what, what kind of stuff are you, are you talking about? And if you guys remember, Paul is writing from prison. Whenever he's writing this, he's in prison. And at this point in his missional life, he has been mocked, ridiculed, ran out of multiple cities, beaten within inches of his life on several occasions, and imprisoned. And that's really just scratching the surface of everything that Paul has suffered, everything that Paul has kind of dealt with in this moment. Yet he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Who rejoices in suffering? Who does that? Like this concept is completely foreign and illogical, if you think about it. People rejoicing in suffering. Suffering in your suffering makes sense, right? That makes sense. Anger in your suffering makes sense. Self-pity in your suffering makes sense because that's what we want to do. But rejoicing? How? How in the world are we supposed to rejoice in suffering? And I really sat down with this for a second. That specific verse right there. I rejoice in my suffering. I sat down for a second with that and, and looked at the rest of the passage and, and here's what I discovered, all right? How you react on suffering depends on three things. Number one, no, you're good, you can go. How you react in suffering depends on three things. Number one, why you're suffering. Number two, who you are suffering for. And number three, what your suffering is accomplishing. Those three things are highly important in how we react to suffering. Because if you're suffering for no reason, go ahead and be angry. If you're suffering for, for just yourself, then go ahead and have self-pity. And if your suffering isn't accomplishing a thing, well, then get mad about it. You should be mad about it because it's not accomplishing anything. And I'm gonna use this right here as kind of a guide as we look at our passage today. And it all, has to, it all has to do with being rooted in the mission, all right? We already read the passage, Tamara did, so I don't wanna go through and read it all again. But if we did, I would want you to look for those things. Why is Paul suffering? Who is he suffering for? And what is his suffering accomplishing? Because I think if we answer those three things, which we're gonna look at in the scriptures, we'll see why he's able to rejoice in suffering. So let's look at the first one. <clears throat> why is Paul suffering? Let's answer that question, all right? Look at uh, verse 24 to 25. Here's what it says. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister, listen to this, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. 
So according to this passage, I see one reason of why Paul is suffering, and that is because of the mission God had given him. He's specifically suffering because of the mission that God had given him. You heard that right. The suffering Paul had experienced, all of the suffering, the mocking, the beating, the being run out of cities, the imprisonment, everything was a direct result of saying yes to God. A direct result of following the call of God upon his life. There is a suffering in this world that is just the result of living in a broken world. There is that suffering. We live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. And every single person on the planet experiences suffering as a result. Every person. And many people are under the assumption, and let me say false assumption, that coming to God will eliminate suffering or at least cause it to be less. But that's just not true. Not only will the previous suffering remain because of the fallen and broken world, if you choose to follow Christ, you're going to get a whole other section of suffering because of that. So it's not just, yes, I'm going to come to Jesus and my suffering's going to go away. Oh, no, no, no. That's going to remain. And you're going to add on top of it a whole another type of suffering. In the Sermon on the Mount, we saw Jesus's words when he said, blessed are those, Matthew 5, 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of what? Righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, hey, you are going to be persecuted for being a follower of me, but blessed are you whenever you experience persecution because of righteousness. Jesus reminds his disciples in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. It hated me before it hated you. So the world is going to hate you. 2 Timothy 3, 12 says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus, oh, what is it? Will be persecuted. This is encouraging, isn't it? Wow, this is so good. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus stated clearly what it means to follow him. He says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. The cross was a symbol of death. And when a person carried their cross, it means they were already condemned to die. So Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, things are not going to be easy. Things are not going to be easy. Picking up your cross every day literally means suffering. If you want to, if you want to follow me, Jesus said, then you'll need to suffer. You know what? I've heard it said before that Jesus is the worst evangelist ever. Because who says stuff like that? Oh, you want to follow? Don't we, don't we try to make things just feel like, oh, just come to Jesus. And we try to like paint this beautiful picture. We do need to paint a beautiful picture of what it means to be freed from your sin. We need to paint a beautiful picture of what it means to be redeemed and reconciled to God after we've had this broken relationship with him and the peace that comes from that. We talk about that all the time. But the thing that we also need to remind people of is that, hey, it's dangerous following Jesus. 
Like, hey, it's going to cause suffering whenever you follow Jesus. And do you know what that's going to do if you talk about that part of things? It's going to make sure that people don't give their lives to Jesus or think they give their lives to Jesus and never really did. Because you need to know the cost of what it's going, or what it's going to cost to follow Jesus. And Jesus made sure that people knew that. Paul knew that. Paul knew what was going to happen to him as he followed Jesus. The, mess, the mission of the message of the gospel is not a popular one. And if you think about the suffering that his, it has added to people, think about the disciples for a moment. You know, I love that because I don't want to call like, I don't want to call people out, but there's this pastor that talks about like, come to Jesus and, and you will experience your best life now. All right. I won't say who that is, but anyways, um, then you, then you, then you, I saw somebody one time put this up on, on Twitter and it was this person saying these things and then a disciple responding in what they had experienced. Like, come to Jesus, all your problems are going to go away. And Paul is like, I've been beaten, I've been mocked, I've been ridiculed. And, and you want to talk about a, a, a more faithful follower than Paul in the moment? Like, no, I mean, that, that kind of stuff is going to happen. The mission of the message of the gospel is not a popular one. Because listen, let's think about this for a second. Why are you going to suffer? Like, why, why will you suffer as a minister of the gospel? Because think about this. It judges the gospel, all right? It judges and calls out every person who comes, to face, comes face to face with it. it. And who likes that? Who's like, I'm looking for a good judging today, right? Not a person. But it, it does that to people. It calls out every person. Who likes being called out whenever you are doing something? Nobody. No, because we're prideful people. And you want to talk about the gospel, you're going to have to, if you are presenting the gospel to someone, they're going to have to come face to face with their sin. They're going to feel judged that what they have been doing is wrong. And nobody likes that. Nobody likes to experience that. And they're going to come face to face with that. And so, but, and, and here's the thing, God has called us out. And eventually, right? Eventually, whenever, think about whenever God Whenever, think about whenever God called you to salvation or whenever you heard the gospel for the first time. I don't know if, and maybe this is you in the room, maybe you heard the gospel for the first time and you're like, oh, I need to come to Jesus. But probably for some of us, it was offensive at first. I would probably guess that for a lot of people it was offensive, but for every person in the room that is a believer, there was a point that you came to where you were humbled and you realized, okay, I need a savior. There's a point that you came to whenever that happened and you were, and you were brought to a humility and saw, saw it for the treasure that it is, but not everyone sees it that way. It's offensive. And you and I have been entrusted with taking the offensive gospel to people. We've been entrusted with that task and it's going to bring suffering. And you're like, so what then? Like if the mission adds suffering to my life, if I didn't rejoice in suffering before, why would I rejoice in more suffering? Why would I do that? Why would I rejoice in more suffering? And I'll tell you, because now there is purpose in your suffering. Before it was pointless. But now there is purpose in your suffering. Your mission as one who was sent out to share the gospel brings purpose to your suffering. But it's also tied being able to rejoice in suffering is also tied with a few other things, not just the mission and the purpose, right? 
If someone came to me and said, hey, follow me and I'll bring more suffering into your life because it has purpose. Would that alone be enough to get you to go, okay. No, you'd go, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm filled up on suffering. Like, I, I, don't, I don't need any more. No, the mission, right? The why is tied together with who the mission is for and what it is accomplishing. So who is the mission for? Number two, who is the mission for? We know why Paul had to suffer. It was because of the calling that God placed on his life. But why also is he rejoicing in suffering? It's because of who the mission is for. According to this passage, it's for the glory of God and the good of the people. We as, Paul as a minister of the gospel did it for two reasons. For two people, actually a lot of people, but it's for God and he did it for the good of humanity. He did it for the good of everyone around him. Paul was obsessed with bringing glory to God. The guy was obsessed with it. This passage doesn't explicitly talk about it, but the undertones are there. The root of Paul's obedience. Think about this. The root of Paul's obedience to the mission that God had given him. Why did he stay, why did he stay obedient to the mission? It's bringing suffering. Why are you going to stay obedient to the mission? For the glory of God. Paul was obsessed with the glory of God. We see all throughout Paul's letters that he does everything for the glory of God, to lift God up, to give him honor. So one reason Paul rejoices in suffering is because his mission is for the glory of God. It's just a way that he can say, thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, God, for revealing the gospel to me so that I could be saved. I want to bring you honor. And that should be the position of every one of our hearts. We should all, because of the salvation that we've experienced, we should all desire to bring God glory, to honor him, to say thank you to him for what he's done. And another reason he rejoices is because his mission is not just for the glory of God, but it's for the people of God. It's for the people of God. Remember, we talked about in suffering, how you react to suffering is why you're suffering and who you're suffering for. Why you're suffering, who you're suffering for, he rejoiced because he was suffering for the people of God. Verse 24 said this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. He's like, I'm suffering for you. I'm suffering, I'm suffering for your sake. And I didn't put this scripture up on the screen, but in, in uh, chapter two, verse one, which is, which Tamara read this as well. He said, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. He's doing it for them. He's like, God, number one, I want to bring you glory. Number two, I'm rejoicing in my suffering because of who I'm suffering for. This is really kind of cool, actually, because Paul loves God and he loves people. Paul loves God and he loves people. And it's something that was placed in him, okay, by the Holy Spirit when he put his faith and trust in Christ and whenever he was reconciled to God. Jesus said the greatest commandment was to what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And strength, is strength in there on that one? I don't remember. And then he said, number two is what? To love your neighbor 
as yourself. Now think about this for a second. The awesome thing about God is that he doesn't give us a command without giving us the desire through the Holy Spirit to follow it. Guys, that's huge. God does not give us a command without giving us the desire through the Holy Spirit to follow it. God's commands, remember whenever we read in Psalm and he's like, I love your commands, I love your commands, I love your commands. Guys, whenever we look through scripture, yeah, sometimes those commands hurt us and we're like, ah, oh, I gotta fix my life. But at the end, we're not like, oh God, you're such a killjoy, right? At the end, we're just like, you're exactly right, God. You're exactly right. This is exactly what I need to do. And you actually, it doesn't even make sense, but there's a desire inside of you to follow what God commands. Where does that come from? The Holy Spirit. You had a desire to follow God before you had the Holy Spirit? No, absolutely not. But whenever God gives you a command, he's gonna give you the desire to follow it. And I love that. And Paul had that. It's a little easier to suffer for someone when you truly love them. It's hard to suffer for people you don't love, all right? I mean, think about that for a second, okay? I know we're called to love everybody, but sometimes we do a terrible job at that. And sometimes whenever we're sitting at our workplace and all of a sudden we're suffering because of somebody else and I gotta suffer for somebody else that I really don't like in that moment, you're not going, this is great. I rejoice in it. God, everything's great. Like I rejoice in my suffering. No, we don't do that. But it's a lot easier whenever you're suffering for somebody you love. And I think about my own children. Do my children bring suffering in my life? No. <laughs> Why y'all laughing? But guys, is, is suffering for my children worth it? Yeah. Can I even rejoice in my suffering for my children? It depends. <laughs> right? But yeah, for the most part, we would say, yeah, it's worth it. You see, that's, that's how Paul can rejoice in his suffering is because he's suffering for someone he loves. Number one, he's suffering for God who he loves and he wants to bring glory to. And number two, he's suffering for people that he loves. Jesus was so good at loving people. He really was. We were, we had a, um, I got to sit here with a potential church partner. Um, they came to the city. They met with a bunch of other, um, a bunch of other church planters and we were just one stop along the way. And, uh, and I was sitting here, um, on Saturday, right before our, our fun time at the chili cook-off where Michelle won at her own chili cook-off. <laughs> Nobody's bitter about it. But uh, <laughs> it was, it honestly was the best chili. I mean, I'm, I, hands down, that was your chili. But I'm sitting here with these guys. And one thing he said, I was describing New York and you know, they're from the South. And so everybody from the South looks at New York and goes, they're the devil, right? Trust me, they do. And, uh, and so they're like, one person said, how do you, how do you get up every day whenever this is what you have to work against? How do you, how do you continually do this whenever this is what you have to work against. I mean, because guys, I mean, seriously, like we live in a city that is very opposed to the things of God. He's like, how, how are you able to do that? I said, man, let me tell you, it's been, a, it's been a learned process, but here's the answer. 
How was Jesus able to love those who were vehemently against him? It's because of how he saw them and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. How do I not get angry? How do I not get upset? How do I not just pack my bags and, and get out of here? It's because God has placed a love in my heart for the people of New York. And all I can say is that comes from God. Because anybody else that comes up here is like, uh, I don't love these people. How can we love these people? It's because God has placed that in our hearts. I can love the people of New York. I, even though they drive me nuts sometimes, I can love the people of New York because I see them as Jesus saw them, sheep without a shepherd. And I just want to show them the shepherd. I just want them to see that. I can suffer for the people of New York because I love the people of New York. I can suffer for the people of New York because I love God. Do I do it perfectly all the time? No. No, I don't. And so you might see me get upset at the people of New York. And in that moment, I'm not loving the people of New York. And that's okay to call me out on that in that moment because I'm, I'm not perfect at it. But man, I look at Paul and I go, man, there's somebody that I can look towards. There's somebody who's a great example for me because that guy has experienced way more suffering than I've ever experienced in my entire life. Way more suffering, yet he rejoices in it. Why don't I? Maybe it's because I'm not either loving God or I'm not loving the people that I'm ministering to. And so that is a very, very important thing. And Paul has his mission. And we have a very similar mission that Paul had. We don't have an exact mission that Paul had. He had a crazy mission. Man, that guy was called to go to all these places and plant churches. And I mean, it was nuts. And he did it, right? But what's the similar calling that we all have? Well, it's a lot of the stuff that he talked about in the passage. It's being ministers of the gospel. It's, it's being ministers of reconciliation for the world, especially where we are. That's the mission that God has given us. And I want to remind us all of something, okay? And again, this is stuff we've been talking about. But I want to remind us of this. Our calling and mission is not to a job right? Our calling and mission is not to a job. I know we worry about that a lot. It's like, God, where are you calling me? Like, what, what's, what's the calling on my life? Like, where am I supposed to go? And it matters. It does matter. You want to be in the will of God where you're supposed to go. But I want to remind us of this. Our calling and mission at the end of the day is not to a job. It's to the people who work alongside of us. That's who our calling and mission, mission is to. God didn't call you to be a teacher because kids need to be taught. God didn't call you to be an actor because people need to be entertained or an elf at Macy's. He didn't call you to be, I was very specific for a reason. <laughs> he didn't call you to be an engineer. By the way, um, um, Amanda gets 30% off at Macy's while she's working there as an elf. I just need to let everybody know that. Um, so, but he didn't call her to be an elf at Macy's because, because people need to be entertained. He didn't call you to be an engineer because things need to be engineered or a doctor because people need medical help. Anyone can do those things. Anyone can do those things. He called you Christian because within that calling is a greater mission, a mission to those around you, a gospel mission, a mission that accomplishes something eternal and amazing which is the third key in how we can rejoice in 
suffering. Number three, what our mission is accomplishing. Number one, we can rejoice in suffering because why we're suffering, which is a call from God with purpose. Number two, we can rejoice in suffering because of who we are suffering for, which is God, who we love, and people who we love. And number three, we can rejoice in suffering because of what our calling and what our mission is accomplishing. And I'll walk you guys through this. What did Paul say his mission was accomplishing? What was his mission accomplishing? Verse 25b, by the way, if you ever see 25b, that just means the second part of 25, all right? I used to, I used to go, I don't have a B in my Bible on this. I think it's kind of made up. Like you just kind of wherever you think the B should be is right there. But verse 25b through 28, here's what it says. To make, this is what his mission was accomplishing, okay? To make the word of God fully known. So it's accomplishing that. His calling on his life, the mission of his life, is accomplishing making the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone. That's accomplishing that. Teaching everyone with all wisdom. It's another thing that it's accomplishing, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's another thing that his mission is accomplishing. And then if you jump down to chapter 2, verse 2b, <laughs> says this, I want then to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is what his mission is accomplishing. This is what his suffering is accomplishing. As we live out the mission of the gospel to the people God has called us to, one thing that is being accomplished, as he said here, is we are leading people to the greatest treasures of wisdom and knowledge that can be found in this life, which are only found in Christ. That's one thing that it's accomplishing. We are leading people to the greatest treasure, treasures of wisdom and knowledge that can be found in Christ. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I get the privilege of watching someone find the treasure of the wisdom and knowledge that comes from Christ, there is no greater feeling in the world. To be a part of that is amazing. To, to be able to walk someone who doesn't know very much about God to leading them to understanding God, and then the Lord calling them to salvation. To be a part of that is worth a lot of suffering. But I can't explain that to anybody who doesn't know Christ. I can only explain that to people. I can only say that to people who do. And they'll go, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. There's no greater honor than to be able to lead someone to Christ. Remember, we didn't save them. I like what Scott said. He's like, we're not allowed to convert people. And he's like, technically, I don't convert anyone. So I'm safe in India, right? <laughs> I love that. But the thing is, is that you and I, we may not convert people, but we get to be a part of it. 
And that is a huge, huge privilege uh, to be able to, to be able to watch it click with someone. It's just a, it's just a great thing. But not only watch and be a part of people putting their faith and trust in Christ and seeing the joy and freedom and the peace that come over them as their sins are forgiven and their eternity is secure, right? But to also help them continually grow in their faith. Go back one more slide to the one right before. One of my favorite things is to watch the light bulb continually come on in the lives of people. Like they come to Christ, that light bulb, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh my goodness, I need to put my faith and trust in Christ. You get to watch that happen. But what's cool is continually watching the light bulb turn on as they grow in Christ. That's a really, really fun, amazing thing that we get the privilege of being a part of. As, and, and especially even in our church. Like I love watching people go, oh my gosh, I never knew this. But, or, or whenever I get like a call or a text, it's like, yo, I was just reading in this scripture. And guess what? This, this, and this, and this, I had no idea. Those are my favorite texts to watch people get those things. Or whenever like, hey, I heard what you said in the message the other day. I'd never seen that before. It's so cool to be a part of that. And guys, that's, that's what God has called us to do. He's called us in the Great Commission to go lead people to Christ, to make disciples, to teach them to follow God. Like, and, and I, I say this, but God could have let anyone do that. He could have, he could have, let, he could have made a way, any way to, for people to come to Christ. But God in his goodness is like, I'm going to gift my people with that, who I love. I'm going to let them do that. I'm going to give them the gift of leading people to Christ and discipling them. Guys, I'm so grateful for that gift. I'm so grateful that I have that gift. And guys, if I have to suffer whatever that is in New York to be able to lead people to Jesus and disciple, I'll suffer. I'll rejoice in it because it's for a purpose and it's for someone that I love and it's accomplishing some really, really, really great things. And I don't know if you guys caught at the end there, because, you know, what we'll do is as we're discipling people, people are going to discover new things. They're going to discover new riches in Christ. Their faith is going to grow deeper. They're going to get more joyful. They're going to, they're going to become more peaceful. And as the word of God um, is made more fully known, which is what it says in that scripture, you know, knowing that for me personally, knowing that I will get to glorify God by presenting to him mature believers in Christ is a cool thought. Like, I don't know if you guys caught that right there, but Paul says that he will get the privilege of presenting to God mature believers in Christ. I want you to hear this. We will be held accountable for how we stewarded God's calling on our life. We are going to be held accountable for how we stewarded the mission that God has given to every single one of us. And that mission I'm talking about is the gospel. We are going to be held accountable for that. We are all going to present something to God at the end of our lives. We're going to present something. We will walk into heaven and say, this is what I did. Every single one of us is going to do that. My question is, is what are we going to present? That's one thing I think of all the time. What, what am I going to present to God whenever I meet him face to face? I want to present to God a a good stewardship of the mission he's called me to, the mission of the gospel. 
And by the way, that's something that's not going to be measured. I want you guys to hear this. And I added this because we as people tend to think that the more people we lead to Christ or the more people that we desire, the more happy God is with us. But that's not the case. Okay? Because it's not something that's going to be measured by quantity. It's going to be measured by just obedience. Right? Because trust me, like if I use like Billy Graham as the standard here, I'm going to be presenting not a whole lot of stuff. Right? I mean, that guy, he got to heaven. He was like, here's a lot of people, but not for his glory at all. He was like, God, this is for your glory. And God was like, well done, good and faithful servant. Like, God, if I entered heaven immediately after Bill Grant, Billy Graham, and I was like, oh, I hate to be behind this guy, <laughs> right? <laughs> but if I was standing there, like, and I was the next in, man, I, do you know what I hope? I hope God would still say, well done. Like, even if I was like, God only led six people to Christ, well done. Those are people that I placed in your life. Those are people that I wanted you to come, that I wanted you to lead to faith. God only discipled this many people. Well, well done. I don't know if he's going to say well done in your case. I, there are some regrets that I have. There are, there's a greater well done that I could have had because of opportunities that I've missed. But I don't know what's going to be said of, of the people in the room or the people listening online. But that's something for us to think about is what we are going to present to God one day. And I'll just say that there's no greater joy than being a part of people coming to faith and growing in maturity, watching them playing a part in doing that for someone else as they grow and as they mature and as they lead people to Christ and as they disciple people. And a couple of other things that are accomplished, we're pretty much done, but a couple of other things accomplished alongside of faith in Christ and maturity in, in, in Christ. Look at this next slide here. It says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. That's another thing our mission accomplishes as we are ministers of the gospel, is that we're going to get to see people encouraged, and we're going to get to see people being knit together in love. Think about your own faith for a second. Is that not a byproduct of you growing in your maturity and growing in your faith? Have you not been encouraged? Have you not experienced encouragement? Have you not, have you not experienced the gift of being knit together in love with other believers? That's a beautiful thing. And that's cool that he adds that there. It's just kind of this side thing. Like, hey, these are things that are going to happen. And also in verse 2, 4, he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with possible arguments. That's another byproduct of being rooted in the mission. Is that the more rooted you are in the mission, the more rooted you are in discipling other people, the less likely they are going to walk away. The less likely they are going to listen to someone else's plausible argument. And I want you to hear what he says there. He literally says plausible argument. He didn't say no one may delude you with their idiotic ideas, with their stupid ideas. He says that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Guys, we live in a world, it's not dumb, right? I mean, we look at it and we go, yeah, but I just don't agree with that. But they don't say dumb things. They say some very plausible things. And you and I are going to be confronted with many plausible arguments that are against what we've read in scripture or what we've learned in church. And in those moments, we're going to go, okay, what do I believe? The more rooted you are in faith, the more rooted you are in the deity of Christ, the more rooted you are in reconciliation, the more rooted you are in the mission the less likely you're going to fall for plausible arguments. 
that are against what God has said, what is, that are against the truth of God. So things to think about. Paul rejoiced in the suffering that comes along with being a minister of the gospel because he was deeply rooted in the mission that God had called him to. He saw the importance of why he was suffering, who he was suffering for, and what his suffering was accomplishing. So the question in front of us today is, how deeply rooted am I in the mission of the gospel? How deeply rooted am I in the mission of the gospel? And I think how we react to suffering is a good indicator of how deeply rooted we are in the mission. How do you respond to that suffering? Remember what I said at the beginning, you will never rejoice in suffering if you are not rooted in the mission. You will just suffer in suffering if you're not rooted in the mission. And I'll end with this passage because this was kind of hidden right there in the middle, but I think it's beautiful in how it reminds us that we don't have to do this in our own power. Verse 29 says this, for this, he's talking about the mission and the calling on his life. He says, for this, I toil, struggling with all, listen to what he says, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That's kind of cool. Because if you read that just straight off the bat, I don't know about you guys, but I automatically wanted to say for this, you know, for the mission, I toil, struggling with all the energy I have and all the power that I have within me. But he doesn't say that. I wonder though, I don't know how your brain works. I wonder if Paul wrote that though and then was like, no, 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 I'll take that back because it's not from me. It's from him. I don't know. Because I needed to be reminded that it's not from me. The energy that I have to suffer for the sake of the gospel, the power that I have to suffer for the sake of the gospel, if I think about it, I can't explain where it all comes from. I can't explain why I get up every day. I can't explain why I go back out there after being rejected or persecuted. And I, trust me, I say persecuted very lightly because when I look at Paul, I'm like, look, I'm sorry, man, I know. Because if Paul's there, like, you don't know persecution. <laughs> but I look at that and I, why am I able to, to continue on? Well, that makes perfect sense. It's because I'm struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Wow, that's good. Don't think you have to or can even accomplish God's calling upon your life in your own strength. His energy will powerfully be at work within you. And that energy and power will last until your mission is complete. Pretty cool. So questions I want to leave us with. Number one, how rooted are you in the mission of the gospel? Number two, what has been your response to suffering because of the gospel? And number three, are you focused on leading others to Christ and discipling them where God has you? Is it the purpose for which you exist? To glorify him and to lead others to him. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at hopecommunitynyc.com.